0: Good day, radio listeners. Welcome to this edition of the Peer Sex Radio broadcast. I'm very glad that you've joined us. Uh, my name is Jonathan, and uh, this episode is going to be our final installment of the Grace-Based Recovery webinar that we have been doing over the last year, uh, covering the nine principles of a Grace-Based Recovery. And so in this particular episode, we're going to be looking at that final principle of grace to love well is recovery just about not acting out or is there a far greater meaning and purpose and really goal in mind and so in this episode we're going to share with you kind of what does it look like to um to quote unquote complete recovery and obviously we're never done with the journey of growth uh in our, in this life but there is a sense of, of reaching a point in which it's not just about not acting out anymore. There's a far greater purpose. And in this episode, we're going to unpack that of grace to love well. So enjoy. So let's go ahead and dive in to this principle of grace to love well. The main idea in this principle is that recovery is ultimately about building healthy relationships with God and others. In other words, the goal is to love well, not just behave well. See, addiction is fundamentally a disorder of intimacy, meaning that addiction trains us to isolate and disconnect from relationships. Therefore, Recovery is fundamentally a journey towards healthy relationships with God, ourselves, and one another. And so as a result of our recovery, as we go through this process, our reordered desires direct us to help others find that hope and peace as well. The key scriptures for this particular principle of grace to love well Are found in John and First Peter. So John chapter 15, verses 12 through 14 say this, and this is Jesus speaking. He says, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. And then First Peter four: eight says this: above all, Keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. See, where I think sometimes we get off track in recovery and in recovery programs and even trying to help people is we make it so singularly focused on behavior that we forget that the ultimate aim is about love. The ultimate aim is loving well. Um, Both knowing how to receive love well as well as giving love well, being known by God and knowing God, being known by someone else and knowing someone else. And this, is a, this can take a little while for people in recovery to really get, but we want to keep putting that vision out there that this is the aim. The aim is to love well, not just behave well. Um, and we're going to see that in a minute as we kind of unpack some of these things. But it's very important that this is ultimately where we are seeking to drive recovery is to this idea of loving well. It's not just about getting our behaviors in line. Behaviors are important, but behaviors are meant to be a fruit of what's going on inside of us, not an end in and of themselves. In other words, when the root of the tree is healthy, then the fruit that it produces is is love. So we, we need to understand that. So let's take a look now at some key thoughts in this chapter. The, the first key thought here is that the human heart was made by God to love and be loved, to be fully known and fully loved. And so on page 62 in the book, it says this. Uh, it actually says, that it kind of re- reiterates this. The human heart was made by God to love and be loved. 1 John 4, 9 through 11 speaks to this truth. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. At the core of who you are, This is, that's the end of the Scripture passage, at the core of who you are is a need to be fully known and fully loved. Grace-based recovery reveals your purpose. You were made for love. So God loved us. God initiated love with us. And so therefore, as we as we come to understand and know His love and experience His love, it's only proper then that we then seek to love others in the way that God has loved us. And that's just it. We were designed by God to love, to, to know God's love, to be loved, and then ultimately to extend that love to others. Secondly, the main goal of grace based recovery is to give away what has been given to you. So on page 63, it says it this way the ultimate goal of grace based recovery is to give away what has been given to you. True recovery transitions you from a life of taking. To one of giving, from serving self to serving others. If you're not eventually giving away your recovery, you might need to question whether you have really been recovering. Now, I know that's a that's kind of a strong statement, but I do think we need to have these moments of self-reflection throughout, throughout our recovery. And if the goal is ultimately that we learn to love well, not just behave well, then we need to assess along the way, how are we doing on on this loving well? Are are we giving away our recovery? And what I mean by that is, as you receive love, as you receive grace, as you receive forgiveness, are these things that you are learning now to extend to others? Are, Are you giving love? Are you giving grace? Are you offering forgiveness to others? And so one of the ways that we can do this is as you think about what you've been given in recovery, one of the first things that you are given in recovery is the stories of others. Like when you enter into a recovery group and into a grace-based recovery group, you're going to hear other people's stories and you're going to be invited to share your story. And so one of the first things you're given in recovery is the opportunity to share your full story. So is that something that you're now extending to others? Are you extending to others the grace-based environment in which they can now unpack and share their full story? That's part of what giving away what's been given to you looks like in recovery, is give away the grace-based environment. Give away forgiveness. Give away the grace that's been given to you. Um, And I think what you'll experience is a deeper joy. Finally, it is better to give than receive. Unbelievable joy is found in giving away your recovery. I remember when uh, when I was uh, first in my in my recovery and um, you know it had been several years and and i'd started a group, and there was a sense of joy and you know hey i 'm giving away what 's been given to me i 'm offering space for other people to unpack their stories and then I remember when God really started challenging me to a whole nother level of giving away. And it was in in 2002 that God started kind of whispering a question in my heart of, Jonathan, do you want unbelievable joy? And it's like, well, who answers no to that when God is asking you if you want unbelievable joy? And so I'd always respond in prayer and say, yes, I want unbelievable joy. And God would come back with, tell your story. And I'd be like, something went wrong here. I lost the connection because that doesn't seem to fit. That doesn't seem to make sense. It's like, I can't connect telling my story, which is full of brokenness and, and poor choices and lots of sin. I just couldn't understand how telling my story could be connected to unbelievable joy until I finally understood that what God was inviting me into was it wasn't so much about telling my story as much as it was about telling his story through my story. The story of God's grace through my story of brokenness. The story of God's forgiveness through my story of selfishness. The story of God's love through my story of self-centeredness. And so, I, I started realizing, oh, He wants to highlight Him. He wants to highlight His goodness and grace as I tell my story. And that started to make a lot of sense. And and you know, it shouldn't make it shouldn't come as any surprise that when I started actually then giving away my story. When I actually started telling my story and, and how God wove his grace and mercy and truth through that, that I, then I started to experience unbelievable joy. It was actually through the releasing of that, through the letting go, through the surrender of my story and giving that away that God started bringing unbelievable joy. And so we need to understand that it really is better to give than receive. It doesn't mean that we don't receive wonderful things in recovery, but as we learn to be a giver more than we are a taker, the in the amount of joy that we experience is is increased and exponential. Next, what we want to look at is some key questions that you must ask as you engage this principle of loving well. And the first question is: what makes it difficult? to be fully known and fully loved. So to be fully known means that you have to uncover parts of yourself that are ugly and broken. And this requires a level of vulnerability that is often foreign to most of us. We got to get real and we're afraid of being rejected or ridiculed for our weaknesses. So fear and shame are huge challenges to being known and loved. But as we are known and loved, We now need to reach out and love others in that same encompassing way, showing them the grace that has been shown to us. So what makes it difficult is many times just fear. There's a lot of fear. I mean, think about it. To be known, you've got to let people see the ugliness, the weaknesses, the poor decisions, the willful poor decisions that you've made. Um, That's a scary thing. Like it means you can't be in control you've got to actually submit that and offer that to other people and let them see that. Um, and so being fully known and fully loved means putting yourself into a vulnerable state. And I know that that can be very scary because that's probably where a lot of our wounds in our past come from is actually being in a vulnerable state. And then somebody violated us. Somebody broke that trust. Somebody did not keep a confidence. Um, and so this is why it's so important that those of us who are seeking to help others in this space, make sure that the environments we are creating are grace-based, that they're invitational and warm, that it is a safe enough place for people to be, to be real. So as we experience being known and loved, we offer that same grace and courtesy to others. That's part of what it is. We've, we've got to face our own fears. We've also got to face the shame. There's a lot of shame that can come through our sexual brokenness, lies About our worth and value before God and even before others. And so, as we work through those fears and work through the shame and experience love, then it's important that we pass that on. Another key question is how is love the fundamental opposite of addiction? If you think about addiction at its core, it's about taking and using for my own self interests. Whereas love is about giving and sacrificing for the interest and good of others. So addiction and love are polar opposites in their content and their outcomes. So addiction is saying, it's really all about me. It's about control. It's about me wanting to get everything that I want at the expense of other people. Love is saying, I'm actually going to give and sacrifice at my own expense for the good of others, so they're they're polar opposites, and therefore their outcomes are different. I mean, we know what the outcome of addiction is, right? The outcome of addiction is loneliness, emptiness, chaos, depression, um, fear, shame. You know, it's it it's not good. The outcome of love, while there is certainly uh, pain that's involved in loving other people because you don't always get the response you want, there's still joy. There's still hope. There's still a peace that comes when we love other people because we're realizing that it's not all about us. We're seeking to serve and sacrifice for others for their good. And if we truly have their good in mind, um, even the wounds that we can feel in loving others are not something that cripple us. It's not something that destroys us. Um, We have entrusted ourselves to the one who loves us perfectly and modeled for us what the ultimate sacrifice looks like for the good of another when Jesus Christ laid down his life for you and for me. And so if we are modeling that, if we are following in his footsteps, then as the Bible put it, for the joy that was set before Jesus, he endured the cross. Can we see the joy That's on the other side of the pain, recognizing that there is a goodness that we can experience. There's even a a peace that we can experience, even when we lay down our lives for others. Um, So love and addiction are fundamentally opposed to each other and their outcomes are drastically different. Finally, another key question that you have to ask is, why is sacrificial love actually essential to joy? You know, there's no such thing as a joyful addict. Now we might, you know, you've probably heard the phrase of like a a happy drunk. Well, that's even a mask. That's just a uh, a a facade, a mask that that happens because when they act out, there's a sense of joyfulness or happiness. But if you realize, if you if you break it down, you realize that there's not true happiness because otherwise they wouldn't be compulsively seeking out their addiction. So there's no such thing as a joyful addict. There's not a sense of deep abiding joy of peace because self-centered living never leads to joy. It only causes heartache and bitterness and anger and despair. The paradox of love is that by giving our lives for the sake of another, we actually gain a peace and a joy that cannot be taken away. This is the beauty of love. This is really the gospel message. When you recognize, when we can receive from God the love and the forgiveness that he gives to us freely through Jesus Christ, then as we experience that and begin to give that away and seek to love others in the way that we have been loved by God, there is a joy and a peace that resides in our soul that nobody can steal away from us and no circumstance can steal away from us because it's an abiding joy and an abiding love that we ultimately are sourced from Jesus himself. And because Jesus overcame death and the grave and he lives to make intercession for us, nothing can kill that joy and that peace that he brings to our lives. So folks, let's love freely. Let's love the way that Jesus loved us because there's nothing that can steal the joy that he's given to us. So sacrificial love is essential to joy because it's the way of Jesus. And so if we want to experience that joy, we need to learn how to sacrifice the way Jesus did for us. Finally, there's a group exercise in this session that is really about speaking a blessing over each other. And it celebrates the love and the hope that we have in Christ. And so, I want to actually just share with you what the blessing is from the book. It comes from page 66. And this is something that can be done as an exercise where each group member Um, gets to sit in the middle of the group, and the other group members get to speak this blessing over the person. So um, we call out their name. So I'll just say it's Joe, because Joe's been a character that we've had throughout the book. So it goes like this, Joe, we bless you in the name of Jesus Christ. You are a beloved son of the Most High God, created in him to do good works and to be a blessing to others. You have been given every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms to fulfill all that God intended for you. Your life is precious to God, therefore it is precious to us. May you live this day and every day after in the grace and truth of Jesus for the good of others and the sake of his kingdom, in the power and promises of God. Amen. I don't know about you, but that kind of a blessing being spoken over my life has great power and great potential to break strongholds. I think one of the reasons that we need to encourage loving well as the, the as the final aim is because loving well means that we are going to position our lives with others as a blessing. We are going to speak blessing into their lives. And I believe one of, the, one of the reasons that, that we have so much addiction, one of the reasons that we have so much generational brokenness perpetuated throughout our culture is because we have lost the will to bless each other. We've lost the will for parents to bless their children. For one thing, we're, there's an ignorance. We don't know how to bless. Hopefully right there, you got an example of what does a blessing look like? How do we speak blessing over one another? Blessing and not curses. So when we learn to love well, we learn to bless well, and through blessing, then I believe strongholds are broken, and we begin to experience what we were made for, which is love. And then that becomes the generational uh, blessing that we can perpetuate. So I hope that that's something that um, that blesses you and that gives you maybe a framework for what does the ultimate aim look like here in recovery, and how do we bless each other well. I do want to just highlight again the the website gracebasedrecovery.com is where you can go for the book and for accessing all of the um, all of the previous webinars. I want to spend the rest of the time addressing some questions. So I have one one question here that says, "What if I'm stuck in behavior modification?" and don't really know how or really want to pursue this idea of loving well. Can't life be good without having to be self-sacrificing? So I love the, the honesty and the transparency of this question. So I will say this, I think there are degrees of, let's put it this way, goodness, let's say, in recovery. Is it good to stop doing unhealthy destructive behaviors? Yes, it's good. Uh, so I don't want there to be any kind of idea that says, "Hey, you know what? Um, it's not that good if you if you embrace abstinence, you know, in recovery, meaning not doing negative, destructive behaviors." There's a type of goodness in that. I mean, it's kind of like, uh, okay, if you're if you've got a a gash on your body and it's bleeding, it is good to stop the bleeding. Now, at some point, there are degrees of betterness, you could say. Stopping the bleeding is good, but would it also be good to actually get a surgeon who knows what they're doing to make sure that how you are patched up is really good long-term for you? And then, are you going to have other professionals be able to check out your body to make sure that the kind of uh, healing and therapy and those kind of things are going to be really for your good in the long term. And that's where I think having the shift towards um, that goes beyond just behavior modification and this kind of love focus is really important because stopping the bleeding is good, but looking at your long-term health is better. And I think when we realize, and I think a lot of us maybe have experienced this in recovery where we, we go the behavior modification route, we put the boundaries that are in place to just make sure we're not doing the negative behaviors. And at some point we realize something's still missing even in the abstinence, even in the goodness of the not doing the negative behaviors. And I think it's this realization that we were made for something better, not just against something bad. Yes, God wants us to avoid and eliminate the negative, the bad, the destructive behaviors, but he didn't make us for just not doing something. He made us for living into something good and better. And I think that's where this love focus comes in, when you can recognize, I'm actually made for being fully known and fully loved. I'm actually made for loving others well in the way that God has loved me then I think you can really grab onto a purpose that's bigger than yourself, bigger than your addiction, bigger even than your recovery. And that's where I think the real joy and the peace begins to kind of uh, settle into our soul is when we start giving away what's been given to us. Um, Another question here is, I'm pretty entrenched in the idea that getting what I want will make me happy. How do I break free from that lie and really press into a recovery that is more giving oriented? This is a great question. Um, The interesting thing about this question is I think that when we begin to realize what we're actually made for, what we actually want can change. So, So in other words, I think when we start recovery, we are absolutely coming from a paradigm that says. I thought that satisfaction in my life would mean getting everything that I want. And a lot of times what we want in that state of mind are actually things that are ultimately destructive for our lives. Like um, I want ultimate pleasure. I want ultimate comfort. I want ultimate peace. And we think that we can gain those things by having, just responding to every urge and every desire that we have and going after it. And then we realize, oh, Maybe satisfaction comes by actually having restraint on our lives, having boundaries, having constraints on our lives. And so when we enter recovery and we start realizing, okay, boundaries are good. I can't, I can't go after every urge and every desire that I have because that's actually destructive. So how can I begin to put boundaries around that and see that there's goodness to saying no to certain things that even I want? What ends up happening is you start forming this, these boundaries And what ends up happening is you realize, oh, those are good. And so what you want begins to shift because you realize, okay, if I go after any and all pleasure and seek to fulfill that through any and every urge that I have, that really leads to chaos and destruction. So maybe I could reframe what I actually want. So I actually want peace that comes within constraints And this is where we start to even see God's law differently. You know, it used to confuse me a lot of times when I would read the scriptures and the Psalms, especially to be like, your law is good. It's better than gold. It's better than fine gold. It's sweeter than honey. And I'd be sitting there going, in my old way of thinking of like, sure seems like it's, you know, restrictive. Sure seems like it's kind of put me into a box. And of course, as i lived more and more outside of that box i started realizing life sucks life is chaotic life is full of destruction when i go out here and as i learned what it was to begin to live inside god's law it did become more valuable than gold it did become sweeter than honey and it actually started to change what i wanted i didn't i didn't want those things that were outside the box because hey i've gone down that path and i see where it leads no my desires even began to change so the the things that I wanted actually began to change because I saw a value that was greater within boundaries than just casting off all restraints. I hope that makes sense of of the idea of getting what I want will make me happy. The good news is as we press into what God has made us for, even I think our want to changes, the things that we want can change. And as that happens, the reality is we start to quote unquote get what we want And there is a joy there because what we want is now in line with what God has made us for. And when we pursue that, there is a deeper joy and a deeper satisfaction. So another question came in here. I'm just starting my road to recovery and I'm so afraid of relapse in the future. I've tried it before and done good for even six months and thought I was doing good. And then something happened and I had a slip. How do I overcome those fears of relapsing and feeling beaten again? This is a great question. And I think, okay, so let's put this into the paradigm of what you are made for is being fully known and fully loved. What you're made for is a grace based recovery. What you're made for is love. Love, perfect love, casts out fear. The one who is still controlled by fear is not operating. In love, And I don't say that to shame you. I don't say that to to beat you up any further or anything like that. But just a realization that if we are still gripped and controlled by fear, it means that we have not, we still have areas of growth in knowing what it means to experience God's love and then actually live out in that love. In other words, we need a motivation shift. If our motivation for doing what is good and right is fear, it will ultimately always fail because fear does not have the power that love does. But when we understand that in any and every circumstance, in any and every behavior, good, bad, or otherwise, God's love does not change for us, then from that place of perfect love, being perfectly loved by God, I can look at temptation differently. I can look at it not as a fear thing, like, oh my goodness, I'm being tempted, and what am I going to do? But realizing you know what? No matter what decision I make here, God will still love me. So why would I want to go down a path that's actually just going to harm me? It removes fear. It's not a a fear-based system saying, if I don't make the right choice here, then God's love is going to change for me. No, no, no. It's saying God's love never changes for me. So let me actually look at this from a rational perspective. Man, I don't want to do something that's going to end up being heaping all these feelings of guilt and shame on me. I just don't want to go down that path. God, I know you love me. You made me for something better than this. I want to pursue the good because your love is ever constant in my life. Your love never changes. And I know it can take a while for us to really embrace that because we come from fear backgrounds. We come from shame backgrounds. We come from performance-based backgrounds where you know everything in the world tells us that your value is based on your performance. So it's a foreign concept to us this grace concept that God is saying your value to me does not fluctuate based on your performance. It's constant. It's based on my grace. It's based on my love. And so as you begin to embrace and experience that love, and it just takes time. And as you face temptations, then your motivation for saying no to temptation moves away from fear and it moves towards, I have been loved. And therefore I want to respond to this temptation out of my love for God and not because I'm afraid of punishment or I'm afraid of him moving away from me. And I'll tell you, it. I mean, I, I probably, sometimes I, I wonder if I should say this, but it, it took years for me to get to a point where that was more of my motivation for how I responded to temptation, was a love for God motivation and a love from God motivation versus a fear and control motivation. But I will tell you this, the love motivation is so much better there's so much more power in love than there is in fear. And so I would encourage you press more into the love of God. And the other thing too, is you've got to put yourself in environments where that love is expressed through other people. We need to see that love. I love the 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 verse that was uh, mentioned earlier, you know, that, um, what was it about from from John 15, that greater love is one this, he laid down his life for his friends. And the idea that, uh, we're to love one another as God, has, as Jesus has loved us. Well, how did he love us? He, he totally sacrificed. And the idea that we're to love one another, you can't do that if you're not in the presence of others, another's. <laughs> You've got to be in the presence of another in order to love one another. So we need to put ourselves in context where we can experience that love. And when love is the motivation, then even our accountability is not based on fear or control or power um, or punishment. Our accountability is now, hey, brother, I love you, and I love you because God loves me, and I want you to experience that love. And so my, accountab- my holding you accountable is not, I'm not looking to try to punish you. I'm not looking to try to shame you. I'm not looking to try to control you. I'm looking to just love you the way that God has loved me. And therefore, as you're battling these temptations, I want to come alongside you because God has never changed a disposition of love towards me, no matter how I've struggled. And so I want you to experience that, you know, eyeball to eyeball in the flesh and, and know that you are loved no matter what, what happens. So I had another question here. Um, what if in giving away my recovery, I get hurt or used? Isn't that worse than just behaving right and not risking further wounds? Uh, this is a great question. And I will say, listen, love is a risk when we begin to give away what's been given to us, we seek to to serve others, there's absolutely the risk of being mistreated. Can we say that, that Jesus didn't experience mistreatment? I mean, his whole expression of love was met with uh, horrible consequences. Uh, it was met with death. So I'm not saying that when we pursue love as our aim, that then there won't be further pain. But this is why we entrust ourselves to God and His wisdom. We entrust ourselves into uh, groups of people. We do need to have, I think, a core um, cohort, cohort of those people alongside of us that we have built trust with and that do have our best interests in mind. So, as we are interacting with others and then there are wounds that come and there are um, just poor responses to that, that we don't lose our anchor um because again if we're going to go the way of Jesus then we're going to recognize there's going to be suffering on that path but i think of it this way you know there's the old fr- uh, saying it's better to have loved and lost than to have never loved at all and i actually do believe that's true even if relationships are broken even if other people uh, mistreat you even if other people abandon you i believe it's better to have loved than to be safe and to be try to be as comfortable as possible to try to be as uh, controlled as possible. No, I believe that love, um, we're told that love never fails. We're not told that love never receives injury, you know, it just means that love never fails. God's love never fails us. And so therefore, as we love others, I don't believe that we are going to regret loving others well. Um, and this means that love must be true. See, I do think that we can experience. Um, regret when we might have had poor motives. In other words, our motives were not true. Our motives were not truly to love. Jesus loved us while we were still his enemies. It says that while we were still enemies, Christ died for us. Now think about that. In other words, we've still got our guns pointed at Jesus. We are still against him. We are still absolutely opposed. We are spitting on him. And he says, I still love you. And, and I don't think you're going to find any regret in Jesus for loving us. And so, therefore, I think the same can be true of us. If we love like Jesus, there's not going to be any regret. There's going to be scars. There's going to be pain. There's going to be mistreatment. But there will not be regret if we learn to love well. Well, listeners, thanks so much for being with us. I hope that that really helped you understand uh, more fully what recovery is really all about. Um, we are meant to be great lovers. We are made by God to be great lovers, not, not great addicts, not great com- compulsive, you know, acting out people. We're not supposed to be great lusters. Uh, we're supposed to be great lovers. And, and I hope that that really inspired you to aim towards what God has actually made you for. You were made to love well. And if you're struggling on your journey, if you need encouragement, if you need further resources to help you in your recovery, uh, please reach out to us. We would love to help you. Um, You can reach us at puresexradio.com. You can also uh, connect with us on Twitter at puresexradio. But we're also grateful that you're on this program, that you listen, because we try to provide great content, great education, good tools to help you live a life that is uh, fulfilled and meaningful and ultimately brings glory to God and good to you. So thanks for being with us. And we look forward to seeing you back here again next time on the Pure Sex Radio broadcast. Take care. Pure Sex Radio is paid for by Be Broken Ministries. Visit us online at puresexradio.com.